Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. I was about to say Mayu Thava. That's not my name. <laughs> and Mayu, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start cutting you off and like hijacking the, the intro part. I think we should change it up a little bit. But Austin, man, what's going on with you? Um, you know, all the same. It's, it's the holiday season. Work has mm. not slowed down one mm. bit. Um, as I was mentioning in the previous preamble, we're working on hiring a dispo manager. So we finished, I don't know if you hear my dog in the background, but there's always something fun yeah, going good. on in the Yay household. Um, but yeah, I'm working on creating a write-up for the, um, what do you call it? The job hiring, the skill set needed for it. And then we're going to put it out in January. So if you guys are interested in joining the Ontario Property Deals team, make sure to follow me on Instagram and keep an eye out because that job posting is going to come out soon. But other than that, we've also are hiring our guests working on hiring two additional acquisitions manager. Our goal for next year on wholesaling is to double the volume that we did both on a dollar scale and the number of deals that we're doing, as well as scale up the team while working less hours. Because right now, my hours are actually pretty intense. I work probably about 50 to 60 hours on Ontario property deals or fast Ontario home buyer. And obviously, that's not sustainable over the long term. So working on scaling that down, hiring more people in place while doubling our output. How about you, man? What have you been up to? I honestly thought the mortgage business would have slowed down during this time, but it's still like people are still buying some crazy deals. Um, and, and it's crazy. Like they're, they're actually getting really good deals. I was talking to a couple, one of my clients got a well-in single family house for 400 or 410. Another one bought in Port Colborne, a duplex. I think it was around the same price point. Um, so there's some really good deals that people are acquiring this time, Christmas time. Like if someone's posting something publicly on the market, it's usually a pretty good time to buy. Um, we acquired a pretty big acquisition. I'll talk more about that probably in the new year. Um, so there's a lot of kind of like, it's more of a business that we acquired, right? So a lot behind the scenes just to kind of like transfer over the systems and processes and stuff like that. Um, it's got three, three and a half months left to close, but it's a, it's a kind of a big undertaking. So uh, spend some time on that yesterday. Um, and we were supposed to go to Vegas, man. In fact, we were supposed to go on Monday and we just canceled our flights today. So, oh no, that's that so unfortunate. What, is it because of uh, the pandemic? Yeah, just all the shit going on, right? Um, we were Fair just enough. like, okay, like we, we heard a couple of stories of people that like traveled and then got stuck there. And we were just like, I don't really want to be stuck in Vegas in a hotel for like two weeks. It's just not like, it's <laughs> that's shitty. not the frugal thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's going to put a halt on business. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of picking up deals, I think we talked about uh, one of the deals that are recently picked up. So just a fun story on that. So that's with a joint venture partner. And we were working on getting an appraiser. Their appraiser was an absolute prick. And I could say that because mm. he probably doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so first and foremost, this was the, it was um, like, the, the Chelmsford one, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this yeah, is 1,800 square feet each side of the duplex and a single family home on a 10 acre lot. So the appraiser first and foremost said they needed to get into every unit. I was like, totally fine. But one of the tenants are very COVID conscious, which is true. And they don't want anyone in, especially during these times. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, if that's the case, I'm going to just not do your appraisal at all. <laughs> like I'm either going in 
or if I don't get in all of the units, I'm not doing it at all. I'm like, wow. okay, fine. So I passed them over to the seller's information. They coordinated time and the seller's like, yeah, you can get in all the units come to that day. He wasn't able to get into all the units because the COVID conscious person still said, no, I'm not letting you in. Surprise, surprise. I mean, he told you beforehand. I don't know what difference you thought it would have made just to show up in person. And another unit, they were not able to get in because the seller doesn't have keys and that person went away for the holidays. Mm -hmm. um, so two units, they weren't able to get in, only able to get in one. The guy called me super pissed off, super, super pissed off. And I'm not used to that because usually this is like professional services. So the, you, you are upset in a respectful way. Yeah. <laughs> he was not having it. And I, I said, oh, look, I apologize. I wasn't, I didn't know you weren't able to get into all the units. And he basically said, don't you dare cut me off while I'm talking. And I was like, oh, fuck, he is upset. <laughs> he was so pissed off. But you know what? I was worried because I was like, man, like, what if he just appraises this thing to hell or he just refuses it and drops it? He's like, look, I'm still going to appraise this thing because it's where RBC and RBC is one of my biggest clients. And he ended up appraising it. He just wanted to feel like he had some power, I guess, and can boss me around, which he, Dude, I was like, I just backed way, off. These Sudbury fucking appraisers, bro. I, no, <laughs> they're fine. They're actually Man, like ridiculous. That was, I, I felt like, I was shocked. I didn't even feel disrespected. He just like cut me off. He's like, don't you dare interrupt me. I was like, oh shit, this guy just sunned the shit out of me. But I took it. I took it because yeah, I needed it to be appraised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, I, I just sincerely apologized after and said like i really appreciate you going through this i know it's not ideal and the appraisal came back 5k lower than our purchase price which first and foremost this is probably like 150k under market value yeah. but that's not the story but the fact he did it 5k below instead of just fucking giving it for what it was purchased for petty. shows that yeah it was petty right because yeah. if it's 5k below nine times out of ten Oh yeah, I'll get appraised. It makes no difference, right? Yeah. Um, but he appraised at five k below. But I thought it was just uh, honestly, I just thought it was the funny story to share. Yeah. I, I you think you see it all in this industry, but you just never do. Um. But that's the guy in power, so I got it. I got to play yeah. my part. Yeah, man, it is what it is. These appraisers are uh, a little bit of a pain in the ass for sure. And, and you know, some things ever change. It's either the appraiser, the mortgage broker, the the realtor. Someone's always a pain in the ass in the transaction process, right? Cool, man. So, so we will be trying to do our year-end update podcast episode next week for anyone that's kind of um, following along. We did one last year, so it'd be pretty cool to kind of do a look back analysis on both of our businesses and uh, listen to that episode and see how things have kind of changed, right? Um, but this week, we have Chris Hurley on the podcast. Chris is uh, the individual I got to know. I, I met him a couple of times. He's flipped 16 homes in one year. Um, or like it was really spread out over like closings and acquisitions and stuff like that. But overall, like a great kind of resource. He came over from Brazil as a new immigrant and he kind of jumped into the real estate side. I uh, was pretty passive about it for a couple of years and then really went hard with the flips. As soon as COVID started, he was laid off and he just decided, you know what, I'm just going to go all in on these flips. You know, he's had a great amount of success and he is, he's essentially uh, redeployed those funds into a new app that he's building. So he talked about that a little bit as well. Uh, definitely a great episode for anyone that's interested in flipping. Uh, we talk about a lot of the tools and systems and processes that it's used. So definitely check that out. And so I hope you guys enjoy. And as always, make sure you comment and subscribe to the podcast. All right, everybody. We've got Chris Hurley today with us. It is just going to be me. Austin is down today. He wasn't able to make it. 
Um, but Chris, for all of our listeners that maybe don't know you, why don't you kind of give them a quick high level of yourself and then we'll kind of break down your story after that. Absolutely. So um, I'm Brazilian by birth, uh, moved to Canada in 2013 with no money, uh, no family, no friends, uh, came for a job, um, was invited to work uh, in a company that I was transferred from Brazil and uh, had to start my life all over again. Like it was a massive, a massive challenge for me. Um, my, met my wife the same year of 2013. And uh, we started investing in real estate almost from the get-go. Um, 2014, um, we bought one property and then uh, we kept going, uh, learned like the power of uh, pulling equity and uh, cash flow and bought a second property. And then uh, the store just started right there when we started like really um, buying more properties and then um, loving, loving more and more real estate. Uh, from the very beginning that I moved to Canada, almost. Yeah. Sorry, what, what age did you say you came here? 2013. Oh, 2013. Okay. Like, how yeah. old were you roughly at that point? I was 27 years old. 27? Okay. 27. Okay. You came here in 2013. I'm I'm assuming you had a decent amount of savings if you started buying real estate, like, right away. Like, I'm curious what that process is. New immigrant, um, learning a lot about, like, you probably didn't know the good and bad areas of the city you were investing in. How did you really get started there? Definitely not. So I, of course, I was an engineer by trade. So I worked for, um, working engineer at that point, about 10 years already. I was an engineer. And, um, of course, like their savings in Brazil, I didn't have any money here, but, uh, once I moved to Canada, um, I'm, I was really good at saving money. Like in terms of like, uh, when I start working here, just not spending in, 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 you know, like going out and stuff Bars like that. Clubs. So, yeah. um, we bought our first property with 5% down. Okay. So, um, at that time properties, uh, I bought my first property in Stratford properties were around $200,000. So it's $13,000 to put down. Mm, okay. So it was not like a crazy amount of money. But we use creativity to keep going, right? And buying more property. So when we pull equity, of course, then you put a lot more money. So then we could buy two more properties. Yeah. Um, and when you so say pull equity, you mean like you refinance the very first property that you bought? We did a burr. Yeah, we did the full burr on the property. So we, we, we rehabbed the property and then we uh, rented it. And then three months later, we went back to the bank and then we asked for, uh, for new equity. So... Um, luckily at that time in 20, it, this was in 2017 already. And, um, in 2017 properties start going crazy up in Stratford to the point that I had one property that went up about a hundred thousand dollars. I bought, I bought them all of course, uh, off market. So I bought them in a okay. highly discount pricing. And, um, so that of course helped, but that using creativity was how we grew our portfolio. But hold on. So I, I want to break down one thing there, right? So you said you bought them all off market. You're new to Canada. How do you go about like buying something off market? Because 2013, a the wholesalers, it just wasn't as public knowledge in Canada. The US, they were doing it all over the place, like whatever, sure, right? But even in the US, I'd argue 2013 was a little bit early stages. But here, like, how did you go about buying these properties off market? We made very good friendship with our realtor friend and she was getting pocket deals all the time in Stratford. So those pocket deals were, were the, the game, the game for us. And you guys Stratford. lived in Stratford. So you were kind of investing in Stratford as well? 
Yes, we had the property in, in uh, Collingwood and then uh, we kept in Collingwood the property and then we started investing all in Stratford after that. Okay, okay, got it. So, so you started off with your first one. I'm assuming that was a single family house that you kind of buried slowly over time. Um, how did your portfolio grow after that? So yeah, we continue uh, buying, buying. We had four single family homes at the beginning. And then uh, in 2020, we started uh, going to multifamily homes. Okay, so, so so hold on. So so the four single family houses you just kind of organically picked them up over from 2013 to 2020, kind of like bought one at a time, saved up, refinanced. Exactly, exactly. So it was a long process, a long journey of like saving more money and then uh, burying the property, pulling the equity, and then buying new property. Finding properties, of course, is not as easy as like going to MLS or just going searching for them, right? So yeah. off market deals at that time, as you said, like it was not as public or, you know, there was like email lists and things like that. So like yeah. to find them was a little harder because people are still selling down MLS, MLS, right? It's much better for them to get more money out of them. Um, but there are still people like with high motivations to sell their properties and they're getting those to realtor friends of them. There's instead of putting them on the market, they were selling them quick. And then I was taking them all. <laughs> That's and so were you were you like renovating those properties or was it more so like buy and hold as you grew your portfolio i was doing renovations on my own on those properties you like you physically like went and just did the work all on your own absolutely wow okay, okay. except for I, like the uh trades right the trades i was always hiring but i was i was i was doing framing i was drywalling i was learning all on on my own like just basically going on youtube searching for it. My father-in-law is a, uh, is a contractor. So he taught me a lot of stuff, okay. but I was like swinging the hammer every single day, man. Like at the beginning, like every single day I was swinging the hammer. Cool. So, so you went from 2013 to 2020, slowly kind of accumulating properties, renovating yourself. Um, and I know the explosive growth that happened in 2020 for you. So, so why don't you just kind of break down everyone, what you did in 2020? Absolutely. So 2020, so actually let me go one step back when it was, when we hit 2019, uh, we went back to, uh, we bought the last, uh, yeah, the fourth property. And then uh, my uh, mortgage broker said, hey, Chris, don't come here again. Like, like you're, you're done, you're tapped you're out. Done. <laughs> you're tapped out. Like, we cannot give you any more mortgages. Don't come here again. You're done. And we're like, well, it's kind of weird because, you know, I see people around like buying hundreds of properties sometimes. Like I've seen other guys, right? Yeah. And uh, anyway, so 2020 hit. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to invest in myself. And if I cannot buy more properties, I'm going to invest in myself. So I started going boot camps, um, participating in more real estate events, and then start meeting more people. And then that uh, limiting belief just was like completely blown out of the water. And uh, so that day that I went to, this was February 2020, uh, right before COVID hit, um, I bought. Uh, three more properties that almost that same month, I bought like wow. a fourplex, a triplex and a duplex. A fourplex, a, four a triplex. Okay. Okay. A fourplex with the JV partner. And then funny enough, a triplex and a duplex all off market too, um, highly discounted with the bank. Like, so all from RBC, <laughs> just it. like our, uh, so, um, basically all that mindset, all that limiting belief was gone. And it turns out that uh, two months later, um, COVID hit, 
uh, I was an engineer for 17 years already doing the same thing. I was laid off for the first time in my life. Wow. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of company were you working for? Was it like a... All automotive. All oh, automotive company. Okay. Okay. And automotive that time got hit pretty hard. Uh, people like were getting like, or those companies Ford and all those guys, they were starting to lay off a bunch of people because they thought that, uh, you know, like volumes are going to slow down big time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was one of the guys laid off from work. And uh, the smile in my face, the yeah, guys were not good, like, even you get a good package out of it at least or no? Zero. Zero. Eh? Anything. Wow. Anything. So they got laid me off like temporarily. Um, I was already, I already purchased my first flip right before that. And I didn't wow. know how I was going to do it. Um, I didn't know how I was going to flip that one house in St. Thomas, Ontario. And I was living in Stratford. Okay. So I was like, how am I going to finish a house in three months? If I'm like working my nine to five, I didn't know what to do. So I had a 90 day plan to quit my job. Okay. Um, and it came right before that, uh, the layoff. So Stratford, Ontario to St. Thomas, like how far are we talking? So about an hour. Drive. An hour drive? Depending on how you drive, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so like, like that's kind of nerve-wracking because I'm sure those three properties that you bought in February, you wanted to refinance them and pull out the capital, right? Absolutely. Um, so now at that point, you probably sank a lot of capital into those three projects alone. Uh, I'm assuming, like kind of like not really knowing everything from 2013 onwards, like I'm sure each property had at least hundred to 200 K in lift, I'm assuming. Right. Um, so then you refinance those, you buy three properties, bigger properties. I'm assuming it's definitely a higher purchase price than you were used to. Um, and now all of your capital is in that you can't refinance it because you are now newly unemployed. Um, and you've essentially got a flip going on. So, so tell me, how how did you continue to fund this? Cause like, that sounds like a very stressful B uh, a house of cards that might at any moment, any moment fall down. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So flipping was my game plan. So to continue going. Um, so the faster I would, uh, rebuild those properties, uh, re- re- um, and of course, partnerships was one of the things VTBs. So the fourplex who purchased was a VTB. Um, so down payment was pretty low. Um, my JV partner took care of all the, uh, the expenses for renovations and okay. things like that. And then my duplex, I bought in a very low, low, low price, like something okay. incredible. It was $220,000 for that property. Nice. Um, yeah. and then, uh, in the triplex, the same thing was super low price, but in any case, like, so I had to do very creative financing on those things. So, um, buying the like four properties pretty much in a month. It was a challenge. It was a very big challenge, but private lending was one of the things that I've done, like partnering up like with other people in terms of like, just, you know, uh, broadening the capital a little bit more. Yeah. The one thing I want to ask you about here is private lending, right? Cause all this time you've been doing traditional kind of bank financing. Um, me on the mortgage world, like I have a lot of clients that are just like really scared of private lending. Right. So like, how is that thought journey kind of going into private lending? Is it really just that you need a really good deal? Uh, How did you structure your private loan? Because you now have no income coming in, all of your capital kind of being deployed on these different projects. Like, how did you structure that? Um, Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. So relationships, that's how I started the private lending. So the private lending route is not an easy route. This is expensive, 
but there's a lot of like very creative ways to do it. And how I started was basically on the, the mentorship that I was doing. I started making friendships and, and networking with people. And you start finding the people that want to lend money. Like, and that's how I found them. Um, this one individual that I used to uh, do private lending with. At the very beginning, we just split a third, a third, a third. That's how we did it. So that's how we... Uh, okay, so you, you were giving equity as well. We're giving equity to the person. So like basically he would fund the whole thing um, yeah. and we split. He comes with the money, we come with the work and um, we're splitting a third in three people. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so at that point you've got, you know, three burrs, um, that I'm assuming you want to keep multifamily burrs and then a single family flip. Uh, where did you go from there? And we continue going. So, um, I didn't know where we're going. Of course, like the first flip, like did so well, uh, we're, we're going so well on that one that, uh, more, more properties start coming. So really got a very good relationship with the one wholesaler and every single time they would get a deal, they they'll call us every single yeah. time. <laughs> uh, so this was July, 2020. Um, he sent one property towards us. We bought that property. Then a second one came, we bought that property again. So in one month, I think we had four properties already purchased for the next few months. So mm. we always, every single month we had the next one, we had the next one and the next one. And to the point that uh, we, we had so many in the pipeline, that start getting hard for us to manage those, right? So right. start having to hire more people. Because you were still doing the renovations yourself? We're doing the renovations ourselves. On every flip? Every single flip. Did that slow it you is, down? It did. It, well, I was still, we're still like getting like up three months, like doing the whole, whole guts, full guts. Yeah, in three but months. That's pretty good. We're still done. Yeah. Yeah. Months. But you weren't um, doing this yourself. You must have had a team. You must have had more people like working with you and stuff like that, right? So at the beginning was me and my business partner and then trades people. That's it. So we're doing all the demo. We're doing everything. Drywalling sometimes like tape and mudding we're hiring. So we had some people that we contracted, uh, but uh, like I would say majority 70% like of the bulk work was us. Yeah. Was yeah. Us. That's crazy, man. So how many flips did you end up doing in that first year? And then I, I've got some questions kind of breaking down your systems and processes after that, because I know that the answer. <laughs> Absolutely. So the first year we flipped one house in 2020. Um, and then in 2021, we already had started two, but then we finished like 15 houses in uh, 2021. In 20, so this, this year you flipped 15 houses. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Last year, one house. And then this year, between 2020, 2021, we flipped 16. Houses. Yeah. I guess you bought a bunch in 2020 that closed in 2021 or that sold in 2021, I guess, based on exactly. how you look at exactly. a flip. That makes sense. There were 2020 properties that we purchased, but they were done, finished in 2021. Right. Okay. So, so I'm curious now. Um, I know we talked before about how you finance this. Was this all now like private financing or how did you go about Except no one really has a capital to 100%. I mean, you might, but it's probably not the best utilization of your capital then to fund 100% of the flips yourself, right? So you're using private capital for every flip. Um, are you doing a balloon payment where you paid the interest payments at the end or were, did you have like monthly bleed? Because arguably the problem with flips or the, the hard part about it is you get paid on the end, right? So all through the journey, you're just kind of like bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. And then maybe the way you were doing is you're, you're recycling your profit into the next flip. So you're still continuing to bleed, 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 right? So how did you structure your private loans? 
Uh, it really depend on the private lender. Um, the last few ones um, in uh, July, August that I've done, um, it was basically a balloon payment at the beginning. Um, okay. The other ones, I did very creative stuff in the past before that. So uh, before that, I did VTBs um, that held a lot of, like a capital in myself. Um, another one I did um, with creative financing with the wholesaler. Okay. where I talked to the wholesaler and they held the whole mortgage into it and basically <laughs> just paid for the renovations, uh, the whole mortgage and all the costs, everything. He called all the costs of the property. So I didn't put a single dime into it. Other ones were with JV partner, like basically JV partner that um, lend the money a hundred percent. And then we just did the renovations. So there was very like, untypical ways, basically like even realtors, like I got the realtors, like, to finance us on a wholesale deal. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty funny. I think, um, I don't remember who was telling me this, that they they made a VTB offer to a seller and then a seller rejected it. And then the realtor was like, hey, like, I'll take you up on those terms, like 8% for like a hundred grand. It might've been Corey, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> I don't remember who told me that they did this, but yeah, that, that's right. You work. So you're basically asking and you're letting everyone know, hey, I, I, I need capital, whether it's coming from a seller, whether it's coming from external lenders or people that have their hand in the deal already, that know, you know, everything about the deal. Right. Um, so then the next question from there is, you know, you're essentially flipping right in the middle of COVID and, and we're seeing this even today, right? Like there are supply chain issues, like try ordering a window. That's not going to take you like two months, right? Like it's crazy. Um, how did you stay on top of your projects? Because when you're flipping every project might cost you every month that it gets delayed might cost you like three, $4,000, depending on the purchase price that you're buying at. Absolutely. Right. How did you stay on top of your projects? How did you project manage them to make sure that you could do like all these flips at the same time? Yes, that's a big challenge because yes, it definitely gets very expensive with the increase of like utilities and like insurance and all those things. It gets extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a program manager in engineering, like I always loved like really putting timelines together, making sure that everything goes to plan. Of course, that with COVID, we got to the point that we were flipping two properties at the same time and we needed an HVAC guy in properties and mm-hmm. they shut down the whole province at that time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I yep. <laughs> and the HVAC guy told us, we can, I cannot be in your house, otherwise I lose my license. I cannot. Wow. Like we, were, we needed him in there to start drywalling the house. So desperation started right there. Like that's one example, right, of many. But yeah. Um, we're like, if we don't hit this, we're not going to be able to hit the other properties. We're not going to be able to do all the other properties because two of them had to be uh, HVAC at the same time. But wasn't it like if you started your renovation in advance of like those rules and you were allowed to keep doing it, like there was all this stuff like that. Um, yeah. like I'll, I'll say it, I, I had flips going on and I was not putting the brakes on them. I was like, Hey man, like I got to do what I got to do here to like, keep me you can't i can't bleed money just because like the government decides to change rules halfway through my stuff right so absolutely not and then that's what we said it's like the house is empty you know park your truck inside the garage yeah and we'll be by yourself we're not going to be there like just do your thing yeah we're okay with that and um in the dark of the night he went in there (laughs) and basically did the work so we were very structured in terms like yeah hvac and then plumbing, then electrical, doing very nicely. So we had, I had the standard operation procedures to do things. Right. So I started doing more of that. 
and uh, guiding the guys and doing things like a little bit more structured since the very beginning. So when I start creating that, things start running much more efficient. Like because it's hard at the beginning, right? When you're like doing things like just on the on the go, right? Like oh, like probably we should do this right now, and then like suddenly you're doing something else, and then suddenly you you start cutting through different people, like especially when you're thinking about HVAC, big pipes like this, like mm. plumbing, big pipes like this, and then electrical, like little little uh, wires. This makes a big difference from the guys. This makes yeah, a big having, difference. So having, having a plan out. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Otherwise you get stuck re- redoing work or like I've been in flips where at the end we realize the furnace is going to go out and we got to replace the furnace. And then that means that like all the other, like the water tank needs to be replaced and a whole bunch of like correlated functions in a property. Right. Absolutely. Um, do you use any like specific tools or are you just like mapping this out on Excel? Like I know there's a bunch of project management, like software out there. I've toyed around with a bunch of them. I'm just curious now, like what you use to kind of stay on top of your projects. Is it it could be as simple as Excel, but I'm just yeah. wondering what you do. Yeah, I always did gun charts. Uh, gun yeah. charts was like my game, like in engineering. So I always put those things together and saying like, yeah, that's that's how it's going to look. Typically, every single project would sit down for like a few hours, like me and my business partners, and we would just go through everything, single thing that we're thinking about doing. So we'd put that in like a list format, mm-hmm. exactly what we're going to do, plan it out, kind of have a cost estimate. And then um, we can actually follow those rules, right? Follow those things that we discussed before. And then what we don't agree that we won't go through, like, of course, things change, of course, but um, at least we have a guideline. We have a GPS where to go, Mm. right? So we can actually start uh, ordering windows at the very beginning, right? Because it was taking like, us as like contractors, uh, we had um, uh, um, uh, Gentech, uh, contractor um, package like or we had a and we we could get like uh, windows in like seven, seven weeks that okay. was the best they could get at seven weeks so if we want to put the, uh, a window like you know two months or three months ahead like we just had to order the very get-go so we'd go in measure the windows and then already ordered them um, so really being proactive in terms of what you want to do in the property is paramount to maintain those dates yeah. Otherwise, like it's so easy to slip because you forget, like, oh, I, well, we didn't talk about this, right? Like, and, yeah. and it becomes like a, a big problem at the end of the day when you're, you know, consuming money uh, because of one little thing that you didn't discuss. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm like starting to really like systematize, like think about how we can kind of systematize that business. I've tried like Asana, I've tried like all the project management tools, but ultimately, like you said, all you really need is a Gantt chart on Excel. That's kind of like mapping out the process and timeline. Right. Cause I've had flips Absolutely. that it's always like at the end we go, shit, we should have done this like simultaneously. Right. Cause it's a completely unrelated like trade that could have like got in the house at the same time. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your best flip that you've done so far. And then, and then I'm also going to ask you probably about the, the worst flip, because I'm sure there's been some good, really good ones. And there's been some bad ones, maybe ones you lost money, but so on. But what's the best one that you've done? Like what do the numbers look like on a flip? Well, actually, there was one property I remember, like um, that I was I was like actually in the car uh, negotiating with the wholesaler the the property, and actually I I invited him to be in the project with us. It was a property that it was super cosmetic, and I thought it was gonna be our worst flip because typically we're doing like all those massive constructions, right? Like we're mm. basically going full gut in properties. 
And we thought that that was the game, like that we were making the most amount of money on. Yeah. But it was taking like three months. So we went and divided like the, the profits by the amount of time that we're there. Uh, it didn't start, it's still making not much sense. You know what I mean? Like they were yeah. making like six figures on those properties, but uh, in profits, but it started like getting like a little funny to me that like there was a, a lot of very cosmetic properties that were not touching. And I decided to try that out. So we, I invited this wholesaler to come with us and he was going to finance everything and we we're going to do all the work. Got for a great price in, in St. Thomas. We bought it for 330000 that property. Okay. And uh, very nice uh, side split property. And um, we are, are, like at that time, I just sold this massive property in St. Thomas for 430000 So we're like, well, if we, if we do the same, like if we sell for four thirty. We put like about twenty thousand dollars in renovations that didn't do much. Um, we make like about eighty grand, like yeah, for not good. much work, I guess. Like incrementally, like it's cosmetic, probably flooring exactly. paint. Yeah, but like I would say, like four weeks of work or like even last three weeks of work. Let's do it. Just for that amount of money and for you know, like yeah. for that profit for that amount of work, it's pretty good. Well, it turned out that the property sold for like almost six hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Okay, that's like a two hundred and. <laughs> 200 plus, I guess, like profit margin once you factor in your, your selling costs and all that stuff. Absolutely. Like, was that just a really good property, that, like on the buy? Like, you bought it so significantly under market value that, like, it, it had enough left. It just, or was it the market doing its thing? Like, what really played into? I think it was both because um, we got the property for a very good price, of course. Like, if you, I, I was comparing the prices of properties being sold at that time already in that region. And they're already on the 400s, like the way they were, like they're 1970s homes, like, you know, like the old kitchen, like super closed. Yeah. We did very simple stuff. We opened walls and then just made the kitchen a little bit more open, put new cabinets, just finished the basement that was all like paneling and things like that. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah. just lift up the house, change two windows. And that lift up the house. Like, of course, that at that time, St. Thomas already seeing exodus from Toronto, a lot of exodus, like from COVID. Um, so people were working from home and I, all the properties we sold in St. Thomas were from people from Toronto. All of them, wow. pretty much all of them. So like if when I looked at them, the addresses were all in Toronto or London. <laughs> so people were basically getting those properties that highly discounted for them. So they were putting like, bully offers on those properties. They were nice. They were like beautiful. And then uh, we did a very good job on them. And then uh, they were just taking them from us. Um, and uh, St. Thomas at that time uh, was seeing about 30% already increasing prices from like previous months. Like it was yeah. insanity, the price going up. Um, so that was actually like two factors. I would say buying properties with equity already at the very beginning helps. And that's what I believe that is the way to go for any investor, uh, that wants to make money in real estate is buying low. And of course, doing your innovation so high. high, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 101, right? <laughs> yeah. So so that one you netted like north of, of 200 grand. I have no idea what the exact profit is, but what's like the worst, worst foot that you've done? Uh, there was one of the last ones in Stratford. Um, I was already like a little funny about that property. It was like, um, uh, it was a hoarder home in Stratford. I did that one pretty much by myself. And um, it was more of a, as well, like a more, more cosmetic work. It was a month of work in there. Um, 
it didn't turn as as good. They all turned profits. All my properties because I bought them really low. They all turned profits. I yeah. I, I could not lose money just because always bought with discounts, right? So even if I, I would know, sell right. them the way the way that they were, but there was a lot of lessons learned. Every single property that I I, I flipped, they, even they made like thirty thousand dollars profit or like two hundred thousand dollars profit. Yeah, they all brought a lot a lot of experience and. Uh, that was always uh, always something that I always take away from properties. Yeah. So so here's um, I know we went quite a bit in depth on your story, but there's one topic that I guess we never really talked about that much, which is you're buying all these deals well under market value off market through the wholesale channel, which like, you know, a lot of wholesalers, if their buyers list is really like big, they can almost mimic kind of the MLS and they can get pricing very similar to MLS. Right. So. How are you going about like being successful, either negotiating off market? Are you going directly direct to sellers or how are you getting these wholesalers to give you these properties with good lifts? Like, how are you going about on the acquisition side? So at the end of the day, you need to be creative, right? Good negotiation skills because in wholesale or even in real estate, everything is about speed, right? You need to have speed. You need to be basically have every, all your ducks in a row. And uh, having your finances in check. And then when the property comes in and you like it, just put an offer in like right away. Like just make your make your calculations. You know, over time, of course, it becomes easier to make the calculations because you have more experience and how much cost, things like that. But once you see that the property is good, just put an offer in. And that's what I was doing every single day. Yeah. Basically, I learned how to negotiate, you know, like uh, the big like real estate guys. and. Um, I basically put an offer and say like, guys, do you want to speed? You want to sell fast? I'm here. Were you buying these like sight unseen then? No, not all of them. I had some properties that I bought sight unseen. Yeah. Um, only looking at pictures. Um, yeah. And I knew that like they were a little bit more scary than, than like, than what I've seen in pictures. As long as the profit margin can justify like a worst case, like, Hey, like if I have to like, I don't know, deal with the foundational issue that I need an extra like 30 to 40 K profit margin in this, like just in case. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I, so I was talking to Michael Lee at a rise event um, that was last week and, and I bought a flip from him and I was like, so Michael, like he asked me, he's like, Mike, like how much you end up making on that? It's it's on the profit. I'm like, Michael, you made more than me, but like, I made it, I made a good profit margin that, that I'm personally happy with. And I was like, so was I like the highest bidder? And he's like, no man, there was like two offers higher than you. They all like they all want like one person wants to like change the like closing day. One person, like, I, I can't remember what it was. They had like some other concession and like stuff like that. He's like, my, you called me on, I think it was like December 29th or something of last year. He's like you called me and you're like, I will bring the check to his partner's office on like January 1st. And I'll be like a 50 K check. Here's my offer. Like nothing else to it. It's done. Like it's firm. It's final. Right. So it's kind of like, you're making it seamless for the wholesalers because even like us, when we're selling on the market, Price isn't everything, right? It's kind of like I would take a clean offer that I don't have to worry about any day over like a complicated like buyer that wants a bunch of shit done, right? So um, that's awesome. I know you're developing an app as well, right? So so why don't you tell us a little bit about that, um, where that came from, like what it's about um, and what everyone can kind of expect from the app. Yeah, basically, like Domily is, uh, is an app that I'm developing based on what I lived, right? Like basically buying wholesale properties or buying uh, low, low um, or highly discounted properties. But this is not only the reason, it's basically underutilized real estate. So basically, underutilized real estate is what we're buying, 
It's properties that are like highly like, you know, like not renovated or like hoarder homes or whatever it is from mm. people that they don't, they don't so want those to deal properties, with they it. don't make to MLS, right? Because they're not picture perfect. So right. is there a way to um, it, make the process more efficient? That's basically what I always look at as an engineer. How can we right. make the process more efficient for everyone by being able to go on your phone, take pictures from your phone and putting everything in like inside the house. So you go inside the house and you basically can do everything from inside your phone and not having to carry a piece of paper and put everything else and bring it back to the office and putting, typing it all back in. How can we make the process more efficient for everyone? And that's where it comes down. So, so the app's name is Domily, D-O-M. Yes. D-O-M. A-L-L-Y. So basically Dom as D-O-M as house in Polish. And okay. Ally as Unite Resources, People, and Commodities for Mutual Benefit. Ally, A-L-L-Y. Okay, got exactly. it. Okay, and so I guess that's going to be released sometime in January. So for our listeners, I guess it's a way to kind of access a lot of like off-market deals. Um, and then if you're a wholesaler, it's kind of the convenience of A, like you, you're going to have a big buyer's list, I'm sure. Um, but also B, like it kind of streamlines their their systems and processes as well Absolutely. so that they can upload. Is there a, an aspect of this that will appeal to kind of a direct seller, like a private seller that where they can just sell it themselves to Domily, or is that not really the target market here? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's for everyone, even like anyone that wants to sell properties, even whole, even even realtors, right? So today you see how like realtors are going on the Kijiji route right now yep. is because they get more more buyers, more, more, more eyes on it. So the more eyes you put on something, the better chances you're going to sell. And typically, what I start finding is that um, not only on Kijiji, but like on emails too, I was receiving deals that were outside of my my zone, mm. right? Outside of my... Uh, and and I, was, I started losing deals because I thought that that particular person was selling properties only in those mm. regions. So I, started, yeah. I stopped looking at it. And right now with the, the growth of people doing the same thing, it's getting harder and harder to keep track. Yep. So if we had a process or a system that everyone could put in there, and when you're interested in one region, you put in there as, as your filter, and then every single time a property comes in that region, independent if you know the person or not, you receive that deal instantly in a notification on your phone. Got it, so man. That, that, make it more profitable, right? For yeah. everyone. Yeah, no, that, that seems like it'll help streamline the process for sure. Like I get a bunch of emails from, from wholesalers are like, of course, Absolutely. like I'm happy to receive them, but um, sometimes the subject doesn't have the city in it. Right. And I'll be like, I'll Absolutely. look at this later. And then you just completely miss it. Right. Yes. Um, I think that's great. It's a great app. I think all of our listeners, hopefully you guys will be able to download it. Um, most likely kind of in the timeline of January, 2022, um, yes. it should be available on the app store. So um, just add it. Like we all have a bunch of apps that we use for real estate, but this is probably going to be my first that I use for like off-market deals, right? So um, that's great, Chris. So usually in this part of the podcast, we like to ask our guests three kind of questions about themselves just to kind of solidify our understanding of them. So where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? Like from a business perspective, is your, I guess one of the part of that question is, is your focus going to be on flipping or is it on the app now? So I really got a massive uh, passion in terms of um, building tech. Um, so okay. that's, that's one thing that I, I always shift, right? So like I came from engineering, went to real estate and when I got the taste of tech industry, um, I really, I'm really passionate about it. I'm not saying that I'm going to stop doing flipping or like investing real estate. I still love real estate. 
probably not swinging the hammer by any means. <laughs> but uh, I'm still looking for properties. I'm still looking for uh, to invest in properties. So that's on uh, a side business. But probably like in five years, I'll be definitely like exiting a lot of tech businesses for sure. Okay, awesome. And so if you had $10 million today, what would you do with it? Um, you can't spend it all on real estate. Absolutely. So I already have like ideas of gaming for NFTs for real estate. Okay. Uh, so really <laughs> exciting stuff. Um, so definitely I would be investing in that. Um, some NFTs uh, and learning a, a lot about crypto. Okay. So he's going to create like a, a real life, like Monopoly set in the, uh, the metaverse, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Um, so if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Oh man, that's a great question because there's so many people that I would love to, um, to meet in person. But I think that one guy that, uh, is controversial, but I think that I would learn a lot from him is Grant Cardone. I would okay. love to pick his brain and just see like how he went and just did everything that he's doing right now. Um, especially from like a guy that came from the same, like I was a drug addict too. So like oh, wow. uh, alcohol and yeah. um, just getting out of that and building a massive uh, empire, just, just by pushing yourself to the limits every single day. And that's who I am. Like I'm pushing myself every single day to be better. Right. So um, I would love to learn from him how he did that and how he's so successful right now. Wow, Chris, that's actually amazing. Like I wish you could dug into that a little bit. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to see how far you've come. Um, obviously, you know, being a new immigrant to the country, um, your growth is crazy. Like that's ridiculous. Like to do 16 flips in a year, and I'm, I can kind of approximate in my head um, how much money you would have made. And I'm sure it's uh, definitely a substantial amount for you. So uh, congrats again to Chris. If any of our followers want to get in touch with you, want to kind of connect, how can they do that? Um, Instagram, Facebook, social media, yeah. whatever it is. Absolutely. Chris Herlin on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, I'll be there. So I'm always open to chat. People like message me. I'm always open, man. Like uh, my, my doors are always open to people. Awesome. I love learning about everything. So um, message me, DM me, feel free. Um, I'm always here for everyone. That's awesome. All right, Chris, thank you very much for your time. And uh, for our audience, make sure you guys subscribe and uh Drop a comment on Apple. Austin usually does the exit and I have no idea what he says, but you know, <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed the episode and tune in next time.